Good morning, or good evening, Mendonesia. Yeah, I was on a morning long time ago. Uh, this is the Renewable Energy Hour. I'm Doug Livingston, and hopefully after a little phone juggling, we've uh, lost a couple of lines here on the board, and uh, I've got my current co-host, Chris Love, on the other line, I hope. Hey, Chris, how are you? Are you there? I am here. I'm good. How about yourself? Uh, and, and you unmuted. I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh Bin, bin, hello, Mendonesia. Hello, Mendonesia. That's a fun name. Mendonoma. Uh, although I want to say Mendonesia to include humble Mike. Mendonoma is yeah. too Sonoma-centric. But we're definitely Mendocino-centric. Huh. Yes. Well, uh, we've got a few things we want to talk about, but not a ton. So we anticipate opening up the phone lines for... User-generated renewable energy topic calls, comments, and questions. Um, uh, we actually do that a fair number of times a year, and it's a useful useful thing to do. Um, but there are a few few things we want to talk about first. Uh, the The first thing I want to talk about is uh, the radio station and supporting it. It's not perfect, but it's uh, pretty amazing compared to an awful lot of radio stations out there. So I hope you're considering supporting the station if you haven't before. Uh, and if you have before and you haven't for a while, perhaps it's time to uh, step up. We're in the middle of uh, a fairly big move. And... Uh, Things are in flux. Um, we could use your support. You can uh, go to the KZYX website, kzyx.org, and click on the big red donate button. Uh, or you can mail a check to, uh, oh, and I don't even have uh, Philo's uh, zip code memorized, but that's something you could look up pretty easily. But it is P.O. Box 1. I can remember that. Philo, Philo California. Um, or you could call the the station during uh, the office line during business hours. Um, and uh, we'll be starting up our actual live pledge drive, presuming we don't uh, meet our goal during the quiet drive, uh, before our next show. And so our next show two weeks from tonight, I think that's the 24th, um, We'll be a pledge drive edition show, so we'll be doing a little more active pledging, pledge pitching on uh, that show. And uh, I want to do a little bit of promotion from it because the particular show I want to do is one that helps to have uh, listeners primed for it. Because at least once a year for, oh God, a good 10 years now, more than that even, um, probably 15 years or so. We've done we've done a, a renewable energy hour version of the trading time show, and so we want people to go into that garage, into that barn, into that storage shed, and uh, pull out those uh, pieces of equipment you don't use anymore that are related to renewable energy. You know that old charge controller or that. Uh, old 12-volt inverter because you're on a 48-volt system now, but there may be somebody out there on an old system who just wants a backup 12-volt inverter or somebody who's rigging up their RV and wants a 12-volt inverter, that sort of thing. You got old panels lying around taking up space? Um, clear them out. Call into the show and uh, and uh, find somebody who, who wants them. Um, 
uh, particularly on the panels, make sure it's a reasonable price because panels are a lot cheaper than when you bought them 15 years ago. God forbid, 25 years ago. Chris, do you remember the price per watt of the first solar panels you bought? Um, I think I spent about 5 or 5.50 per watt, roughly. Which is a far yeah. cry from what you spent in the twenties. In the <laughs> oh, it was in the twenties in the early eighties, which with an inflation calculator was about two hundred bucks a watt in current dollars. Right. Um, but yeah, five yeah, so five bucks a watt. That's that's that, late nineties or so. Uh yeah, late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. sounds about right. Yeah, and people people should know that. You know, brand new, really high-end, AA-grade Tier One modules are selling for anywhere from eighty cents to a dollar twenty cent a watt. Yeah, yeah. Think, okay. think brand of, new. Think of them as a buck a watt with twenty-five year warranty. So if you're selling your twenty-five year old panels with no yeah. warranty at all, then you know, better be uh, better be enticing. But yep. you'll you'll earn some space in that barn or that closet or what have you and somebody yeah. and somebody out there will appreciate the the opportunity yeah there's plenty of people that are that really just need to kind of make it you know across a you know a pond of lily pads until they're ready to finally upgrade their system maybe in two or five or ten years but they just can't do it now and so they need to fill the gap so uh that that'll be uh Next uh, or two Wednesdays from now, the the twenty fourth at seven p.m. Uh, during our normal time slot, the Renewable Energy Hour. But it'll be a call in show, asking people to buy call in and with their requests to buy, sell, or trade any renewable energy related equipment. And I'm not just talking about solar electric equipment, which is what we've sort of been mentioning so far. It could be old uh, solar thermal. Uh, circulating panels that that you you bought and never installed or took down when you re-roofed and never put them back up somebody would make use of those i'm talking about uh any yeah any high efficiency appliances like a sun frost refrigerator or or uh you know maybe it's an old uh, on-demand water heater they can be more efficient if you're got the right type of water and uh, use the water in a way that matches with their benefits um, and that sort yeah, of thing. We're really looking at whole systems, you know, we're talking about little wind turbines that are still in good shape and can be, you know, maintained or I, I'd say it's even, you know, we should be open to generators. I mean, we're talking mm -hmm. whole systems. Here. Sure, sure. Generators yeah. and... DC pumps and DC appliances, twelve volt appliances for that that you that you no longer use because you converted to twenty four or forty eight volts and and that guy in the RV or the cabin might want them. Yeah, or people that maybe don't need to push water up on top of that mountain for their cannabis anymore. So like old high lifter pumps and. There's there's a lot of technology that's probably sitting in you know collecting some spider webs right now and sitting in that sit better better than used. Yeah, reduce, reuse, and recycle, and uh, reuse is more important than recycle. 
Um, But one heads up to people to do your homework ahead of time is it's really useful if you're trying to sell an old inverter or a solar panel to have the make and model when you call in. So do that ahead of time. Do it right now. Go out and look at those panels. You're saying, ah, I could get rid of those in two weeks. Uh, and, you know, flip that panel over and look at the model number on the back. Look at the model number on the size of that electronics piece of equipment and, and get the model number. That can be really useful and really important for someone to decide that that's what they want. And and think think about a reasonable price or what you're hoping to trade it for. You know, somebody to come chop some wood for you or something. In all, and in all likelihood, too, if you don't know exactly what the item is, but you can identify it by a manufacturer and model number, we can yeah, probably we, 99% we, of the time say exactly what Oh, it is. yeah, that was a, you know, a, a trace charge controller before the full, first pulse width mod, modulation. Yeah. Although, I would probably recommend you don't buy that. So I have a question for you, Doug, regarding this. this What's that? Um, you know, should I go through my pile and bring my list to the radio? Sure. Show? No, I don't have an objection to that. And uh, also, okay. uh, I don't have an objection to businesses calling in, which is there's a rule against that on the, on the trading time show. You know, if one of the installing contractors or retailers has a whole bunch extra of something they want to offer a good deal on, I have no objections to them calling in. Okay. And, uh, you know, I've bought stuff from Alex a whole bunch of times from his boneyard of stuff he's removed or stuff that didn't get used. I said, oh, I need one of those. And this client's tight on the funds. What do you want for it? Um, And so uh, you'll be able to call in during that hour or uh, uh, I'm going to break a radio taboo and say you can email me anytime in the next two weeks as long as it's not right before the show um because uh i'll be unlike the trading time show there won't be two people in the studio and uh it would be hard to be answering phones and reading emails at the same time like they do but if you email me ahead of time i will actually print them out and bring them in and read them when the phones are silent. Um, And even if the phones are ringing, if there's a big pile of emails, I'll do my best to get through them all. So uh, my email is Livingston, L-I-V-I-N-G-S-T-O-N, like uh, the Explorer without the E on the end. And Livingston Consulting, all run together, C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G. Livingston Consulting at Hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S dot net, the unfortunate satellite internet. Livingston Consulting at Hughes dot net. Here comes the spam. Here comes the spam. <laughs> or, or all kinds of other stuff, too. It's like, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. But... I've given out my phone number and my email before, and it hasn't been, it hasn't been too bad. Um... Actually, my worst spam was from a, another programmer whose business kept sending me spam emails. Uh, oh, go figure. That was a long time ago, though, and he got scolded by everybody. <laughs> His marketers got a hold of the KZWAX programmer's distribution list and put them, oh, all, put them all on his business promo. Spamming pod. 
So uh, an- another piece of news that uh, I wanted to bring up, I don't know much in the way of details, but uh, a handful of environmental organizations has actually sued uh, the CPUC to... Uh, redo the NEM3, the new rules for grid tie compensation for excess power. Um, of course, the the big investor-owned utilities are all arguing to dismiss it without a hearing. Um, and I'm not sure what all the details of the grounds for the suit are. There uh, Certainly there is a, a state law passed by the legislature that required to some degree of ambiguity that that the the rates and rules for net metering for distributed solar you know residential rooftop solar and others uh in general be a decent financial investment to do to encourage solar in the state and uh i think part of their argument is the new rules radically radically reduce that financial viability for people yeah at a time when we need to take more load off the grid (laughs) and a time we need to take more carbon out of the atmosphere yeah Um, for sure and there's one aspect of nem3 that i failed to mention in our discussions over the last couple of months what was that um is that if if somebody wants to do a net energy metering aggregation, uh, then that is still open to NEM2. Uh, oh, I so, didn't know that. Ag- yeah. Aggregation. So for people that don't know what an aggregation is, that's, say, where you have two houses or, you know, a home and a business or whatever on the same parcel or neighboring parcels that are owned by the same ownership. With two um, separate services? Yeah, with two or more separate services that NEM2 is still open for aggregation and that they're they're going through today. You know, I just started working with a new uh, drafting and engineering group to help take a load off myself. And um, they've been doing the, you know, net energy metering direct handling interconnection for contractors for many years now. And um, so they, they've actually got a really good inside line with, with PG&E and got a little bit more clarity on that. Cool. And, uh, do, do, you do, do you ever do you ever do work on, on the coast? Sometimes. I, you know, it's, it's, I, I, it's not too often because it's, it's a long, long drive. Yeah. And there's a couple of good installers out there. Um, mostly I've gotten calls from people that, um, you know, are, are the, like, really painful clients to work with that, that um you know are more litigious yeah well, so, this guy seemed um, like a, a fairly casual but responsible uh licensed contractor maybe you just want to design a system for him and work him through the uh the red tape he could actually do the install legally um uh-huh. uh, yeah the general contractors allowed to allowed to install solar yeah they but, should just know what they're doing yeah, well, he doesn't necessarily know what he's doing, so he 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 would love to have his hand yeah. held, particularly with the system design. But uh, he he contact. I mean, I I actually ran into him at the Anderson Valley Brewery, and we got to chatting, and and he realized what I did, and and said, "Oh man, you know, I've been trying and trying to get you know some contractor to help me before the rules change. I want to put grid tie, and it turns out he has two services on his." 
on his property, one for his shop and one for uh, for his house. And he wanted he wanted to do an aggregate solar install and and put it on one service and credit both. And yeah, considering the difference between them two and them three, that's extremely enticing for oh, somebody. Yeah, you know, economically huge. speaking, it's drastically different. But key caveat: it's only going to last nine years, not twenty. Not twenty. Okay. Okay, right. but that that's so, that's but, still seriously enticing, and uh, yeah, maybe a well-designed I'll... system. You know, if you've got enough sun, will usually pay off in six or nine years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that it's where you start to get more than 20 or 30% sun, you start to get into the 10 or 13 year payback period easily. Oh, losing 10 to 30% of your sun. Yeah. 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 If you got 20 or 30% shading. Yeah. Then, then yeah, it's, it it's a little easier pushing to go it back. for 11 or 12 years. Well, I think he had, he had pretty good, pretty good, uh, solar access on the shop, but not on the house, which is why he wanted to, do it on the one yeah. service and but do it enough to impact both services um and uh, i had no idea that the aggregate was still on nem2 uh, is there a deadline for that is that changing anytime i don't know what the deadline is for it i think it's still you know pretty far out because part, part of what i realized is that each of these different segments of um net energy metering has kind of its you know its own gigawatt limit. Uh-huh. So you know, like net net heat energy metering one closed when we hit like three point nine seven gigawatts of solar or something mm-hmm. in the residential market. Okay, um, I had it was intertype. You know, I had no idea, and uh, he'll you be know, he'll be glad to hear that. Do you mind if I uh, email you both yeah. on the same email and yeah, that's fine. You might have a conversation with him. Yeah. Um, Cool. Because uh, I don't think I want to go through the crazy interconnection contract. It's gotten so complicated. I'm yeah, get, that's I'm getting, part I'm, of why I'm, I'm kind of excited. You know, they keep changing the portal so much that every mm-hmm. time they change it now, you know, all the different ways you can interconnect battery systems and that you really have to have very specific control considerations and how it's going to be used. And it's just like, you know, it's really great to have somebody that just does that All every the time. day, uh-huh. handle it. And then it's like, Hey, here's my 150 bucks, you know, turn it on. But <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, we'll sign that and yeah. move forward. Yeah. Well, I, I, there's so much more red tape and hoops to jump through on the grid now than initially their, their original application yeah. was, almost painfully simple and this is painfully complex yeah it got really nice for a while when they got a really good portal up and it was became very simple it was six pages but now i think we're up to like 14 pages or something and there's a lot on some of those pages Mm -hmm. a whole lot of details and some of it's off the wall i'm surprised they're even asking but yeah you know to understand some of it you know to really understand it you know, beyond just reading it going, yeah, that's what we're doing. You kind of have to be an engineer to understand the concepts, you know, of, of how they're, you know, either the batteries a load or the batteries feeding to the grid or, or not a load and what they call that, how that's identified. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, you know, and they're transferring that between, you know, their manual that's supposed to read for contractors, you know, versus, 
um, the engineering side of the grid because there's a whole engineering side for PG&E that's, you know, highly, highly involved in the whole thing. And so all that legal versus engineering speak kind of kind of clashes. Mm-hmm. Um, and doesn't always come out clear in the portal. Well, and or yeah, as you, there's also exactly there's also the software guys who didn't make it easy and clear cut. It's so much lost in translation. Yeah, you know, and, and well, it was all English, it was hard. English. It was hard to find too. Um, right. I had a I had an owner installer that I designed a system for, and he was trying to trying to find the interconnection agreement and it was under this obscure little link that said four contractors and since he wasn't a contractor he didn't think to click on that yeah um yeah the website is not always really well speaking for what you're looking for it's pretty tricky and it changes all the time. It cha- move it around. Yep, changes all the time. And you had another topic uh, you wanted to chat for a few minutes about, and that was, you know, watching out for quality of installers. Yeah. Um, and I have to admit, for myself as an installer, and that, you know, I started out, you know, as a kid, like, you know, rebuilding motors, internal combustion engines with my father and my grandfather. And so, you know, we're dealing with thousandths of an inch. So, you know, stepping into a less strict trade, you know, was was a little bit of a relief, so to speak, for myself. So, you know, I started, you know, coming from the general contracting world. And, you know, the whole concept was like, hey, if you're going to do this right, do it right the first. If you're going to do this, do it right the first time. Um, and, And I think it's even more important as, you know, as a contractor, because some contractors don't understand that this isn't just a job and a way to make money. The whole purpose behind getting a contractor's license is that, you know, consumer protection wants to help make sure that contractors are building their clients' assets. So when you walk away with all that money, uh, you've left something behind that's of equal value for the client. And so the concept is, you know, performance, for consideration and the consideration is the money or whatever else you take, you know, in trade. Yeah. I presume and, part of performance, you also mean safety. Oh yeah. That you're, you're supposed to meet, you know, the health and safety guidelines that feed in the building codes and, 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 you know, and not burn the place down. Mm-hmm. And that if it burns down, it damn well be, it better be a manufacturing defect. You know, um, that's, that's what we would prefer to see. And that, you know, somebody screwed up in a factory and then, and you know, and the other side is UL listed devices. These things are tested so that when they fail, not if, when they fail, because it's electrical, it's going to fail eventually. Uh, nothing electrical lasts forever because they all heat up. So they degrade um, that when they fail, they're not going to burn everything down around you. And they're not uh, supposed to hurt you if uh, you're next to it. Unless, it unless there are multiple levels of failure. I'm, I'm, yeah, and that's I'm aware. UL listing is still supposed to, you know, hedge against that because mm-hmm. you know we we load things a certain amount, but really when you look at the engineering side of it, we're only loading at twenty five percent usually, maybe mm-hmm. fifty, mm-hmm. depending on the device or whether it's you know we're talking about you know wood beam or a post or whatever that you leave big huge pillows and buffers so 
when forces come along that we haven't imagined yet, it doesn't fall apart. Do, or, you do, know, go do up you, in a puff of smoke and burn the house down. Do you know why bypass diodes are in solar panels? Crystalline um, ones, anyhow? I, I I knew better in the past, but I can't remember it, and I know you well, every, got it every, right there. Well, everybody, you know, who, who talks about them, talks about them as... Uh, as the the current bypassing a zone of the panel when part of that that part of that zone is shaded because that zone would become a resistor to everything else it's wired in series with and so they talk yeah. they talk about bypass diodes as improving the performance of the overall array when there's partial shading on the array but that's not yeah. So that's help cool off that part of the circuit, right? Well, that that's actually the why they're required by UL to be in crystalline modules, is that uh, if there weren't bypass diodes shading one cell, that cell essentially gets current forced through it when it's a high resistance resistor, and right. and uh, it can heat up. And I'm aware of at least one fire started by a double whammy of. Uh, a bad batch of solder on the front collection grid that was fairly high resistance and a lightning strike that took out a whole bunch of diodes. More diodes in this one array were bad than in my entire, you know, previous 25 years of troubleshooting systems. Um, and so I suspect that they were substandard bypass diodes too, but uh, it was a double whammy in those two problems. And and indeed, there were a whole bunch of cells that that were clearly cooking, and on each one of those panels that had a obvious, you know, high temperature stress on on a cell or more, uh, I would find that the bypass diode was was open circuit in in that zone, and uh, and actually, I was hired by the installing contractor to come and document and determine what exactly happened because he was mortified that his system had started a fire fortunately it didn't do much damage other than to the array um the owner the owner of the property was there and had a hose out and kept the grass fire from spreading toward his house and the fire department got there pretty quickly but uh thank goodness they were around when it happened yep yep absolutely and uh you know, the secondary issue is that, you know, on old off-grid systems, old modules that didn't have bypass diodes, we would actually see the modules drain the battery a little bit. Mm -hmm. they yep. You know, 3 to 20 watts, depending on the size of the oh, module. You're, think, you're thinking of, hour at night. You're thinking of a, a blocking diode, not a bypass diode. Right. And those right. those yeah. were usually external, external to uh, to the panel. Um, and, uh, were, were used in the days before people used charge controllers. Most modern charge controllers prevent that from happening and you don't need a blocking diode anymore. Um, it's yeah. not that the panel has changed. It's that the charge controllers have changed. Although, uh, uh, uh thin film modules are still notoriously leaky. And so mm. it's, it's particularly critical from, with them not to use... You know, a real yeah, they, no charge controller are, or a real old school one. They are definitely a, a tricky item in general. It's very hard to ground them. 
<laughs> oh, you're talking about the uh, frameless ones? Well, most thin film is, you know, frameless, not all, but a lot of it is, yeah. you know, most of the market is flipped, you know, shifted towards the flexible versions that you can glue down on top of a bus or, you know, glue down right. between the seams the, of the a metal roof. standing or, seam roofs, yeah. Well, yeah. Although, uh, that manufacturer went out of business. Is somebody still making such? Sun Power. Sun Power's making one? All right. Yeah. And it's a thin yeah. it's a thin film? It's not a crystalline? All, yeah, their, all their original like the, panels were crystalline. Yeah, you can roll it up like a sleeping bag, you know, every day kind of thing. Like, they're, they're like, yeah, these are mobile, portable, blah, 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 or for standing seam roofs or... You know, I, I looked at them and it was just like, wow, that's pretty expensive. You know, way to go. I'm not not going to be able to do that. <laughs> well, and they're probably lower lower uh, output per square foot, and exactly. So you lose yeah. some, some of the generating power. But if uh, the flexibility is critical, or the non penetration of your fifty year roof is critical, it it could be worth it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I used to so I used to I used to spec those out for. Uh, my gringo vacation homes in Baja, both both due to uh, hurricane resistance and theft resistance. Mm -hmm. They would come back after they're six months away and their panels would always be gone. Right. Or a hurricane would hit them and their panels would get shattered. Yeah, it's definitely a big deal down in Baja. Yeah. I had, I had a big off-grid resort that got a direct hit by a Class 5 hurricane. But man, he was ecstatic when I told him how much it was going to cost to replace the broken panels. Because mm. it had come down so much since he bought the original panels. Right. He says, oh man, that's so much less than I would have paid for hurricane insurance all these years. <laughs> so he was he was oh, actually man. happy and pleased. So back to the, uh, to the yellow alert on dubious installers. What's your advice? Yeah, so... Because so, one of the main things that happens is that, you know, I, I've, I've gotten, you know, over the years, my business per year has fluctuated anywhere between, say, 10 and 40% of all my business for a year is coming back in and ripping out some or most or all of a system that somebody did a really bad in design and install on. Um, and charge somebody a pretty exorbitant rate to do it. And we're not talking about just some, some guy that comes up and says, well, yeah, I got electrical experience. I know how to install solar and it's not a contractor, you know, doesn't really have the construction experience that they think they do. You know, we're not talking about the average unlicensed person. We're talking about firms that sell themselves as solar. And some of them have 15 or 50 employees you know, that these are some well-established companies and I'm not going to get into saying names. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Keep, keep away from that them. liability, but you know, yeah, but there's a, there's a real thing happening out there. I think, you know, for some companies they've gotten a little better and that if you pay attention to what licenses they have, you know, oftentimes you see that they just have a C46 solar license, um, which means that they're not allowed to touch anything else electrical, but that solar circuit. Nothing. They, they can't rewire your light fixture. Yeah. They technically don't have that experience, so they don't have that expertise. 
Um, but some of the companies, because they decided to get into do, doing batteries and storage, now they've brought on a C10. And so they've either, you know, somebody's gone and gotten that experience and gotten that license, or they've hired another contractor as a partner on their license. Mm-hmm. And, and C10, C- C10 for those uh, who don't know, contractor speak is the California electrical contractor license. Right, which means you can do anything electrical, period. Generators, whatever. Solar guys uh, only don't on, do generators. On, on this side of the utility switch. Yeah, anything not, not utility, yeah. essentially. It's a, um, a different set of rules on the, on the power lines. And so I think that's, you know, some of the firms that are a little bit more responsible or maybe figured out they were being irresponsible, you know, up their game a little bit in that regard. Um, but it's, it's really painful to go into, you know, a situation where somebody, say, spent $65,000 on an off-grid system and it doesn't work. You know, it, it shuts off when, you know, the daughter turns on the toaster in the morning before school to have some toast because somebody's taking a shower and the water pump's running at the same time. And Things you know, were just, just weren't sized right. I mean, we're talking too, too small a battery, or too small of inverters, not too enough solar, you know, the whole, and it runs the whole gambit anywhere from just a, a really bad design and good quality work or a bad design and really bad quality work, or a good design with bad quality work. And, and the, I've just seen it in so many different ways. And it's, you know, because when you come in as the second contractor to save the day, it costs more to replace the system it. than to put it in and from it, scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Because you got to take the time to remove all these things and figure out what you can reuse. And, and maybe you've just got to totally manipulate everything that was done potentially uh, you know and so it's painful it, 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 it's it's actually something that you know lends towards anger that people are dealing with this and so many people yeah. and that you know i mean some years it's it's been like half the calls i've taken and part of the problem is is that when people have an existing system when you get outside of mendocino county if you have an existing system, almost nobody will touch it. You know, that all these big firms in Sonoma and Marin and, you know, that come up into Mendo and Lake and all of that, they won't work on existing systems, even if it's full replacement. It's like, we don't know what to do. Because they generally divide. Yeah. So I end up, I, you know, people like me and Alex and you and some of these other long term, we'll the you know, well healed installers end up getting these. You know, these jobs and our phones ring because they eventually find somebody that knows you mm-hmm. and points them to you because, you know, I don't advertise. My phone just rings. Yeah. I, I've, yeah. I, the last time I advertised was 15 years ago on my last purchase of business cards. Right. Yeah. I, I think I four or five times I've pinned up business cards in the last 20 years. So. Well, I've never even pinned them up. I just, you know, had them on me. So if somebody asked me for it, I would have my contact info. Um, right. I guess in some sense, doing this radio show is a form of advertising, and teaching classes on solar is a form of advertising. I've certainly gotten lots of new clients through those avenues. But most of my clients come from uh, recommendations from previous clients. Yeah. Um, got talking so, about talking about problem contractors. Uh, 
one of my jobs I had, you know, fairly early on in the grid tie era was uh, working for the California Energy Commission, which used to be in charge of the California rebate program. And one of the stipulations in the legislature for the rebate program was they had to do a certain, you know, uh, evaluation of the quality of systems that, that went in under the program. And I got yep. hired. I got hired to uh, create a recipe and what equipment the you know fresh out of college engineers that were going to be going in the field to evaluate the simplest of systems uh, without me, according to my recipe, with straightforward instructions on on how to do it um, and how to evaluate how the thing was performing, et cetera, what measurements to make, um, and right. and. Uh, because, you know, it was way more complicated to evaluate any system that had batteries in it, any system that had a wind turbine or a hydro turbine or a fuel cell in it. Those, those all came to me, and they, they picked a statistically representative sample of the types of systems that had gone in from statistically represented, you know, contractors and self-installers. Um, and so I got all those more complicated ones to, you know, to wing the evaluation on since there was no way to come up with a recipe for all the variations there. But they also handed me five contractor names, each with five installations under their name, and say, evaluate three of the customers under each of these five problem contractors. Who had received, who had received disproportionate, you know, number of complaints to the to the CEC on the quality of their work, and and sure enough, they were they were some pretty horrendous examples of of right. uh, stuff. I mean, one one system had a it was over it was in a crotch pass above uh, Fresno, and he had a substantial solar array and uh, and a sizable wind turbine. And because wind, you know, goes up with the cube of the wind speed, and he had such awesome winds there, he didn't even know that his solar wasn't working at all. And, you know, it had been in for like four years, and I said, well, your solar's not putting out anything. Do you, do you, do you know why that is? And he said, no. And I said, I'm, I'm not supposed to, but do you mind me tracking down what's wrong? Uh, he said, no, not at all. Made a few measurements here and there. I said, well, panels are open circuit on this side of the combiner box and, and it's battery voltage on the other side. Uh, looks like all your, all your fuses are blown. And I opened up the box and there were no fuses. The installer had never installed the solar fuses. So it was just sitting there open circuit for the whole time it had been installed. And so that means they didn't do everything else after that that they're supposed to verify before they walk away. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, this, and this whole story that you're telling, I think, should really kind of round out the concept generally of what, you know, what I'm trying to say is that this is not a new problem. No. That, you know, and this is why, like, that they asked you to do that, you know, and that they develop these efficiency standards. Cause I did some of the CSI rebate stuff, you know, with Ukiah, cause they still had money long after PG and E ran out of money. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, they had an efficiency 
you know, inspector that came out of Oregon because they, they ran the gamut from Washington to California. And it's because there were so many scammy systems built that the CEC was like, whoa, people are getting money for stuff that they shouldn't be getting money for. You know, the whole idea was to actually take, kill, you know, gigawatts off the grid. You know, that this money is going to help us jumpstart this industry that's too expensive for the average consumer to touch. And, and so contractors were convincing people that had no, almost no sun on their roofs to install a six or seven kilowatt system. And it's putting out like two to 10% of what you would expect <coughs> for every CSI dollar. And, and so, you know, it's very similar, just like, you know, it happened with the lighting too. When we, you know, suddenly we got rebates for, you know, compact fluorescence. Well, eventually the CEC had to step in and get this whole testing regimen together because several hundred manufacturers across the world got into the game and started selling these really crappy CFLs with crappy circuitry that would die after less than a thousand hours. Mm-hmm. Nice. And these bulbs were supposed to last six to 15,000 hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I remember that. And, 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 and so you're, they're getting you're, that money. You know, so that's why eventually they, you know, they got the, you know, the oversight together and then they just ran the rebate straight into the utility. So when you bought the bulb, the rebate was already applied. They'd verified that bulb was a quality bulb. The, uh, your, your story about, you know, the too much shade installation was another one of those problem contractors I had. It was actually a guy in Lake County who used to be in Mendocino County and, had a bad rep over here, and he resurfaced under a different business name in uh, Mendocino or in Lake County. And uh, the first system of his that I visited was, you know, a huge uh, evergreen oak tree just south of his array that, you know, I estimated with my little shade measuring device was wiping out some 60% of his annual output. Yeah. And I said, did he say anything about this tree? <laughs> he says, well, he said it would hurt it a little bit, but it'll still work. He also uh-huh. he also caused 11 leaks with his L brackets lagged through the shingles. Right. But, but to his credit, he kept coming back until all those leaks were fixed. But uh, there, was a, there, was a, there was another job of his that I inspected also in Lake County uh, where he had installed a, a tracking mount. Uh, but because of some low horizon obstacles, he installed it, you know, 20 feet in the air or something with a super long pole. And I was pretty sure there had been no engineering done on the footing required for that extra lever arm, but I could never verify that. But this is... The substantial sy- amount of concrete and depth required. <laughs> yep, that the system was not working, and uh, I had to get out a ladder to climb up and see if I could see why. Um, and it was in the days before you had the uh, the MC pigtail panels. You you had a J box, and you were typically wiring with uh, with non metallic flexible conduit from J box to J box, and. Uh, and of course, a flexible connection from the panels on the rotating plane of the tracker mount down to the combiner box. 
but he hadn't installed a long enough reach of that. And the the full range of the tracker had probably pulled the conduit out of the first J box, probably on evening one. It's just such a surprising <laughs> um, mistake to make on those. I mean, even if you just do a ground mount that's a single pole that's not tracking, that somebody's going to go tilt or turn and or move, whatever, yep. have to give it full range. Yep. Yeah. Period. Well, this you this know, this do it right the first time, or go back grocers. Or the, something. The, this these folks had had, you know. I said he probably finished at four thirty in the afternoon, right? They said, "Yeah." How did you know that? <laughs> and and water had been running down the wires into that first J box, filling it up, and running through the conduit to the next J box, and all of the terminal blocks were completely corroded and in yeah. in a third of that array. Right. Anyhow, heads up. Get some recommendations on your installing contractors. Look them up on Better Business Bureau and talk and, talk to know, some of their previous clients. If they won't give you contact for some of their previous clients, that's a yellow flag too. One thing I found, you know, because you know, I, I associate with other contractors. Sometimes we, you know, share jobs to each other, just pass them on, or. You know, somebody needs help, so we, you know, come out there for a day or a week, you know, and or I hire that contractor as a sub. Um, and that most of us, we tell all our clients all the bad stuff, too. And so if your contractor, if your salesperson isn't telling you not just the positive elements of why to do this, but the potential negatives or the potential pitfalls, I would say that's a red flag. Yeah, if everything I sounds rosy. Every negative thing that could possibly happen with what we're doing. And, and I think that's really critical because if you've dealt with contractors, then you know, if you've done larger projects, then you owners out there know there's always the potential for scope growth and that somebody may find something we couldn't have seen before unless you paid us to do some exploratory work to go figure out everything around this thing in your house or in the dirt, you know, just, I mean, you bring out an excavator, you don't know what's down there until you start to open it up. Yeah. So, you know, projects and costs can grow a little bit. That's reasonable. You know, it's not on a contractor to, you know, eat the fact that you have some big boulder in the field you want to put solar in. But, you know, there's, there's reasonable ways to deal with things. But if, if your contractor's not telling you where, the, where those risks are, and they want you to jump into a thirty or $60,000 project without expressly telling you what the risks are, that's a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. If it's all positive and rosy, that sounds like a sales job, con job. Yeah. All right. Well, we've managed to talk way longer than I planned to talk. Um, yeah. Uh, we've only got 10 minutes left in the show, but we can go right up to the top of the hour today since uh, we're on automation uh, uh, a recorded radiogram tonight. Um, and I don't need to get out of the okay. captain's seat and give him a chance to come in. But we only have one open line. But if you've got uh, any questions or comments about things we've been talking about or any renewable energy topic in the last 10 minutes, uh, uh, give us a call at 707-895-2448 and we'll get you on the air and we'll talk about it. And if nobody calls, I'm going to put a... Oops, somebody's calling already. 
Got all my right buttons pushed. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, great show, by the way. And uh, I'd like to make a comment about the uh, aggregate when you do it under Neem 2. I considered doing that. I wound up going with a couple regular systems instead because I had talked to Sonoma Clean Power, and they pay you like a penny more a kilowatt hour than PG&E for your excess power, and which is not very much that they pay. But if you're going to be out of town for a couple months taking care of your ill mother or whatever it may be, it might be a significant amount of money. And if you do it under aggregation, you're not eligible for any of that. It's oh. zero. You, you can only zero out uh, where with Sonoma Clean Power, you can get up to $5,000 a year per regular service. That's, that's yeah. net, net annual excess. Net annual excess that you get paid for by Sonoma Clean Power at a slightly better rate than PG&E, and neither of them pays you. They say it's because of legislation in the California state legislature that they cannot pay. And Sonoma Clean Power told me it's because people that do aggregation tend to put in really big systems, and they didn't really want to be dealing with that. So that's what they told me. Yeah. Okay. So I went with a couple because I had three meters. I wound up going with three separate systems yeah. for I th- that reason. I still think you get short shift even at their rate for net annual access and encourage people not to put in systems that produce more per year than they consume. Yeah, I absolutely understand that. But at my stage the in life, there's big periods of time when I'm not here. Mm-hmm. So just nothing's happening with the electricity. So, But when I am here, I want to have enough power. So now, the other, you know, the other side of what you're saying, though, is that, you know, net net energy metering to aggregate is still, even if Sonoma Clean Power is not going to give you that benefit, is going to be drastically better than doing three individual systems on net energy metering three economically. That's correct. I did them under two. Oh, yeah. You I, got in in time. Yeah. I got in in time, and I got approved for that. So, I mean, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to get in name two. I have three systems approved. Went all the way through the energy airing review. One of the systems needs a new transformer. The other ones are fine. And uh, and so went through the process. I actually didn't find the application to be that difficult. But, you know, it just depends on what your standards are, I guess, on how easy you want it to be. But, but yeah, you know, having a little background helps a lot, though. Um, you know, if I didn't know anything, it would have been almost impossible. Completely off the wall question. You and Chris keep sounding alike to me. Where did you two grow up? I don't know, but my name is also Chris. Huh. Yeah, I'm I'm from Florida. From Florida? Where's the other I grew up in California. In California? Funny. I thought it might be some slight regional accent or something. Probably yeah, I'm, a, I'm, more a, to do I'm with a Gulf Coaster. Gulf Coast. Well, yeah, I'm a Gulf Coaster, not an The East accent Coast. is called a uh, a television accent. Yeah, and and it comes from you know the accent that they looked for when they were putting the broadcasters across the country. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter what part of the country you're from it's, if you were influenced by the television accent. Yeah, and that, that's that, what his accent sounds like, and that's what mine does. When I went to grad school back in Pennsylvania, they all immediately figured me fingered me for a uh, a television accent. Huh, interesting. Well, I'd heard that the uh, broadcast, that the, you know, Anchorman voice was uh, actually, you know, sort of Ohio, was sort of generic middle of best compromise of everybody. 
and 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 of course, of, of course, for the BBC, it was all hoity-toity. Right. The the most of the people, though, you know, a lot of those television shows came out of Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. And so that tended to be where that was. Yeah. So yeah. And my answer to your follow-up question. Yeah, but uh, but as far as that, yeah, I did get my systems in under Neem two. I still have to install the systems. I got three years to do it, and um, but I will do one right away. And um, you know, I think Neem two is a hell of a lot better deal than Neem three. Well, they've they've just been sued, so maybe there's a chance that it will get improved. That'd be good because you know we want to keep this thing rolling. All right, thank you, gentlemen. Hey, Love your show. Hey, you're very welcome. Thank you. Eight nine five two four four eight. And while we're waiting for another call, uh, I'd like to remind people again that two weeks from tonight we're doing the the annual renewable energy hour version of the Trading Time Show. So if you've got any high efficiency appliance, anything that conserves energy, any renewable energy equipment, hell, I'll even include. Uh, Wood burning stoves is renewable energy equipment, um, so we can stretch it pretty wide. Uh, but we're hopefully it somehow can stretch to conservation or renewable energy equipment um, that you've got lying around and want to get rid of, or you're hoping to find. Because um, uh, I know there's a lot of used equipment sitting in people's barns and garages. I've seen it. Um, yeah. So. Regarding the pledge drive, you know, that you brought up, um, you know, one thing I wanted to mention to people, because you mentioned that there's, you know, big changes and a big move going on with the radio station. And in case anybody's not fully aware that, you know, KZYX is getting out of the primarily the renter scenario and going to a building that they are planning to own. You know, there's a mortgage involved, but it's a, it's a whole different scenario in that, you know, the radio station will have a home base that it owns eventually. With fewer power um, outages and uh, direct line of sight to to the te- to the antennas on the mountaintops without trees getting yeah. in the way and and oh good grief. This 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 building we're in here has been cobbled together for thirty years now and is is humorous. <laughs> Have you yeah, ever, it will definitely improve the function of the radio station overall and, in all likelihood. And it's it's uh, central to more people, so it will be less convenient for me, but more convenient for more people in the county. And we still have our satellite studios, uh, and we'll have one here in Anderson Valley. But, you know, go dig through that stuff in your barn and your garage that you want to clear out and make room for something useful and have it not be sitting around for another 25 years and find somebody who will use it. They'll appreciate it. Uh, they may be able to afford that instead of brand new stuff. Uh, but make sure you do it ahead of time and count those panels and write down the make and model of that inverter or that charge controller or that switch gear or that sun frost refrigerator or what have you and and have that ready and you can call in live during the show in two weeks or uh, you can email me ahead of time at livingstonconsulting at hughes.net don't do it the day of the show Um, I'd like to print them out ahead of time and bring them in because I'll be so low in the studio and it would be hard to be answering emails and phones at the same time if I'm getting active inbound emails on the 
station's DJ address. And if if people want to call in for the pledge drive, you said to call in to the number during business hours. Um, Wouldn't that be the 707-895-2324 number? That's right. I didn't say the number, did I, huh? Yeah. I just wanted to make sure we got that out there. Yeah, good, good. You can you can call in and make a pledge during the quiet drive. That's right now uh, by doing that. Um, or by going online to kzwax.org and there's a big red donate now button. Or you can mail a check to P.O. Box 1 here in Philo. And I'm apologizing. I don't remember Philo's zip code off the top of my head. Oops. That color dropped out. Uh, well, it's just as well we've got a minute left. Um, yeah. So I think I'm going to call tonight and say good evening and uh, and ask people to dig their, their old renewable energy equipment out and give it a second life with someone else. Call in in two weeks for the renewable energy trading times. And we'll have a different, uh, we'll have a different theme music. Let's go out on our next, next show's theme music. See you in two weeks, Chris. Good night, everybody. Take care, Doug. Thanks a lot, everybody. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org. And consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.